Welcome to Redemption Community Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit www.redemptiondallas.org. Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. This is page 942 in your Bibles. This is the Apostle Paul that is writing to the church that is at Rome, and he's writing on the subject. He moves into the subject of baptism. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died had been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin, once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I've made mention before how over 150 times in the New Testament, Paul refers to us being in Christ Jesus, and that is the number one way in the New Testament that believers are identified is to be in Christ. And here is one of those references in verse 11. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Now I want to draw your attention to verses 3 and 4. Our focus this morning, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And this is the Word of God. Father, thank you this morning for your word and your spirit and your presence that is here. Bless these next few moments of time. Open our understanding to your word as you continue to minister and open up our understanding on baptism and what it means for us to be in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We've talked a lot in this series about sin what it means to be a sinner and what it means to repent. We spent two weeks on repentance. Last week we talked about what it meant to be justified by faith, to stand before God righteous in Christ through faith. Uh, But the two weeks before that we talked about sin and repentance, and that is the basis that when we come to God, we must repent. We must 
Yes, ask God for forgiveness, but that's not even really the heart of, of repentance. The heart of repentance is turning around and making it a change in the mind. The word literally means I've changed my mind about something. I've made up my mind. I'm turning around, walking the other direction. And this makes heaven happy when people repent. It makes heaven very happy. Those aren't my words. Jesus said that. Jesus said there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Every time a person makes up in their mind, I'm going to walk with God, serve Him, heaven rejoices. People are sinners and their sin separates them from God and there is no way around that fact. We don't have the righteousness needed to save us. But God, while we were yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. He didn't wait until we were righteous. We couldn't be righteous without His death. He died for us while we were yet sinners. <clears throat> but people need to understand that they need God. And the wonderful thing about needing God is that all you need to know starting out in this is that you need God. That's it. You just need to know that I need God. And that is the beginning of a beautiful walk with Him. And if you have that revelation, if you have that understanding, you are on your, life, on your way to a lifetime of enjoying the beauty and glory of God. But it's not just new people who need to understand that they need God. I need to understand that I need Jesus. I didn't get saved by the gospel and now I need something else to keep me saved. I'm still saved today by the same gospel that initially originally found me. The gospel, that good news that Jesus died and rose for my sins, uh, that Jesus came to this world to defeat sin, death, hell, and the grave. That's what saved me. And it is that gospel, that message, that good news that will keep me until the end of my race. The bad news is that people are without God. And the good news is that every single person can experience the gospel, experience it in their lives. Every single person can have and experience that stunning, life-altering good news that Jesus Christ is King and Lord of our lives. And every single person can experience the power that breaks the chains of abuse and addiction. Every single person can be united with Christ and be in Christ and have Christ dwell inside of them. That's why we preach the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to give light and to bring hope to people who need Him. And the realization that you need God is that first step towards being united with Christ, for being in Christ. And all of this is signified in our baptism. In our baptism, we are dying out to ourself. We are being buried with Christ. We are identifying with the burial of Jesus Christ, the death and the burial through our baptism. This is why we practice and believe in practicing water baptism by immersion in water versus being sprinkled with water. Uh, because the significance is, is that you are being buried. That is, that is the whole picture and the image there of, of baptism. So what do we believe about baptism? Well, we believe that you need to be a believer or at least have a confession of faith. That you need to be, so there's two types of Baptists. There's paedo-baptists that believe in baptizing infants. Uh, and there's credo-baptists who believe that there needs to be a credible profession of faith. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but it does at times uh, concern me when there are large rallies and they have people who are in this assembly hall or a convention center and they have a baptismal tank here and they're calling on people to be baptized. 
I want to make sure that that person has a profession of faith uh, because they need to have, they need to be able to declare, I believe Jesus is Lord. Uh, it, it's very important to be able to profess that and to know that when you're baptized. We baptize people in the name of Jesus. So what does that mean to be baptized in the name of Jesus? One, in the New Testament, when the command goes out to baptize them in the name of Jesus or baptize them in the name of the Lord, it's very reductionist if you bring that down to say that that just means that that's what the person who's doing the baptizing, that's the words that he or she is going to pronounce over the person who's being baptized. That certainly may be part of it, but the picture, the idea in the New Testament is much, much bigger than that. It's not just that I'm saying those words over that person. It's that when you're being baptized, you are being baptized into Christ, into the Lord. It's not just words, but it's the act of what's happening. I am being placed into Christ through baptism. I'm signifying that through my baptism. It's not just a formula that is given. But the reason that we do it, the reason we want to baptize in Jesus' name is not just because the early church did it that way. That may be true, but that's not the only reason, and I would argue it's not the primary reason why we would baptize this way. We baptize in the name of Jesus because you are being united with Christ in baptism. It is not only God who is coming to dwell in you through the power of His Spirit, but now you are dwelling in Christ that is signified by baptism. <clears throat> so yes, over 150 times in the writing of the Apostle Paul, he tells us that we are in Christ, in God, in Him. It's a picture that Paul keeps driving home to say, you abide in Him. It is the primary way that Paul identifies the people of God. Paul was teaching the early church how to think of themselves in relationship to Jesus Christ, namely that you are in Him. You are not just baptized in the name of Jesus, you are baptized into Jesus Christ. And that is a distinction that is not without significance because it denotes our relationship with Christ. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So I know this morning that there is no way that I could thoroughly, exhaustively talk about baptism and communicate every idea that you need to understand about baptism. That's not possible in one sermon. But I'm going to hit some highlights this morning on what baptism is. <clears throat> so I'm reading this from a, uh, a confession. It's actually a, an ancient confession of, of baptism that outlines what baptism is, but it has withstood the centuries. So baptism, number one, is an ordinance of the New Testament 
ordained by Jesus Christ to be unto the party baptized, a sign of his fellowship with him in his death and resurrection, of his being engrafted into him, of remission of sins and of giving up into God through Jesus Christ to live and walk in newness of life. Number two, those who do actually profess Repentance towards God, faith in, and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ are the only proper subjects of this ordinance. So what an ordinance is, you'll hear the word ordinance, uh, sacraments is used a lot. Most Protestant churches kind of move away from the word sacrament. It doesn't bother me as much, but sacrament, uh, sacramentalism is an idea that usually comes from the Roman Catholic Church and the sacraments. So the Catholic Church has lots of sacraments. Any church that is not Catholic typically will just have two sacraments and we just call them ordinances. And those two ordinances are baptism and the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper may be referred to as communion. The Lord's Supper, it's, it's all the same thing. It's taking of the bread and the wine or the grape juice and signifying the death of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about an ordinance, that's what this is speaking of. Number three, the outward element is to be used in this ordinance is water wherein the party is to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number four, immersion or dipping of the person in water is necessary to the due administration of this ordinance. We believe people need to be baptized. The word literally in baptized meant to be buried. It had an idea of actually being buried. So you don't really get that idea with just somebody sprinkling water on you. Uh, there is one, no record, that the earliest records of the church in the book of Acts and immediately thereafter, there is no record that they actually did this sprinkling. In the book of Acts, it's always, um, it's always done by immersion in water. In Acts 7, uh, 8, in Acts 8, uh, Philip is riding with the Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot and Philip opens up the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament. Remember, they didn't have the New Testament. Philip opens up the Old Testament and the Bible says that he began to preach Jesus from Isaiah. Like Jesus is in the Old Testament. He's found throughout the entire Bible. And at some point, the subject comes up of baptism. And Philip obviously is, is teaching that because they, begin, they pass by a body of water. I don't know if it was a lake or a pond or a river, but as they're traveling and the eunuch says, see, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? Uh, he didn't need that body of water uh, if he could be sprinkled. But now that they found a body of water, the eunuch says, baptize me. He's, made a, he's been taught who Jesus is, he has believed, and now he needs to be baptized. And so we believe that the immersion or the dipping of the person in water and the calling of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over the person uh, is significant in a person's baptism. We believe that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord by which those who have repented and come to faith express their union with Christ in His death and resurrection by being immersed in water in the name of the Lord Jesus. It is a sign of belonging to the new people of God, the true Israel, and an emblem of burial and cleansing, signifying death to the old life of unbelief and purification from the pollution of sin. I, I want to insert here something that's, I think, really important about baptism. And that is that it is not just an individual event. We are very cultured in our 
uh, American, modern, Western, 21st century way of thinking, we are very individualistic. That's just how we think. We don't think in terms of group. Uh, but baptism is not just for the believer. Baptism is signifying that you now have become part of the body of Christ and that you have stepped forward and said, I want to be part of the body of Christ. Not, yes, a local church, but much more bigger than that. I want to be part of the kingdom. I want to be identified in this community of believers around the world. That's what you signify when you step forward to be baptized. And I'll read you this, and I normally don't read other people's material this much in a sermon, but there's just so much out there uh, that has been said that is not mine that I think is, is good. So I quote, the note I want to strike immediately, the tone and the truth that I want to set first and foremost is that baptism gets its meaning and its importance from the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in our place and for our sins and from His triumph over death in the resurrection that guarantees our new and everlasting life. Baptism has meaning and importance only because the death and resurrection of Jesus are infinitely important for our rescue from the wrath of God and our everlasting joy in His glorious presence. That's the note that must be struck first. We are not talking mainly about religious ritual here. And that's something I want to stress. This is not just a ritual. Baptism is, is symbolic, but it is not purely symbolic. There is something that happens at baptism. We are not mainly talking about church tr tradition here. We are mainly talking about Jesus Christ and His magnificent work of salvation in dying for our sins and raising for our justification. Talking about baptism means talking about how Jesus taught us to express our faith in Jesus and His great salvation. So don't have small thoughts about baptism. Have large thoughts, great thoughts about great realities, about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified to bear the sins of millions and raised to give them everlasting life in the new heavens and the new earth. So baptism is very, very important. It was uncompromisingly commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 19, go into all the world. And he says two things, depending on what translation you read, it will say, but it means the same thing. Some translations will say teach. Others will say make disciples. They're, those aren't contradicting ideas and translations. They actually complement each other. You make disciples by teaching. So Jesus says, go into all the world, you teach and make disciples, and you baptize people. This is what Jesus said right before His ascension. This is what you're supposed to do. He's leaving. He's leaving the kingdom that He established into the hands of men and women who were very ordinary. They're not Him. They're not flawless God and flesh. They are people. He's saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go, make disciples, teach and baptize. If we can accomplish that out of this group of people here, we will have accomplished a kingdom purpose if we don't do anything else. If we go and teach and make disciples of people and baptize, we'll have fulfilled what has been called the Great Commission. So that's, that's what this is referred to. It's the Great Commission. Jesus is commissioning His people to go, teach, make disciples, and baptize. It was baptism universally administered to Christians entering into the early church. It was, again, it was more than a private conversation. It was public to the church, to the world. 
I've been baptized now. To be baptized meant that I'm part of this community of faith. It held a great significance because it told the pagan, godless Roman world that I am following this man, Jesus Christ. It told the Jews who crucified Jesus, but who still served God according to their tradition and according to their law. It signified that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that you missed it. And I signify that by being baptized into Christ. And it was uniquely connected to conversion as an unrepeatable expression of saving faith. Baptism is so very powerful. We are baptized into Christ and into the name of the Lord. I make an appeal. I know some have been. I mean, it's a group here today that I know, so I know some have and some haven't been baptized. Uh, and I want you to know that that is always a, a possibility. It's always open. We will never force people. We will never push and prod people. Uh, I believe that's a, a very uh, poor way of, of doing it. Uh, we'll never do that for baptism, but we will always leave it open and say at any time that you want to be baptized, uh, you can be baptized. Uh, it takes a little bit of planning, but I think within a week or so, because we certainly have one if not two facilities that I know of that we can go to and set a time, probably during the evening, uh, during the week, it would probably be a weekday evening, and we can go and, and we can baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That name means something. The name is not insignificant. The name is the name of Jesus. You know, what is Jesus? What, what is the name of Jesus? Well, in the Old Testament, God was known as Yahweh. This is the name of God. Um, you know, I like to tell people it's not a trick question when I say that the Bible doesn't say there's only one God. The Bible doesn't teach there's only one God. The Bible doesn't say there's only one God. Deuteronomy 6 does not say there's only one God. My goodness, how many gods do you believe in? Uh, well, the, what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6 is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, in Judaism, they had this idea that there were lots of gods, pagan gods, idols, spirit world. I mean, there's, there's this idea that there are all of these gods that exist. In, in the world and in the universe. And in the Old Testament, when you read about, when the Bible talks about the word Elohim, it's Elohim is always plural. It's not sometimes plural, it's always plural. Elohim is, is because it can refer to God, lowercase g, and it does. If, if in the Old Testament you read Elohim, it can be referring to any type of God. And so in this pantheon of gods, in this culture that just said there's all these so many types of gods, what Moses is writing in Deuteronomy 6 is, hear, O Israel, hear the people of God, the Lord, and when he says the Lord, he does not use the word Elohim. Elohim is used, and sometimes God is referred to as Elohim, but there are other times that Elohim doesn't refer to our God. It is a kind of a generic word used for God. But Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, and any time you see in the Old Testament that the Lord, the word Lord in the Old Testament, capital letters all the way across, 
it is the word Yahweh. The Lord Yahweh, our God, our God is only one. We only serve one God. Now we know today that looking back at it, that all of those other gods were just, were just false. They didn't really exist. They were idols. There, were, there was Baal and there were all these other gods, but they, didn't, they weren't real. They were false gods. Now the other side of that coin is that there is a spirit world. There is a, a dark, demonic world of spirits that is behind these false idols, these false gods. This is why it's so dangerous to, to delve and, and deal with, with so many of these things because uh, there is behind that image, behind that idea of idolatry, there is a real spirit world. But we don't equate today, we would not say those other spirits are, are gods. We wouldn't call them that. Uh, our language doesn't allow for that. But in the Old Testament, in that ancient world, there were a whole lot of gods. And the Bible was declaring it's not just that there's one God, it's that the God that we serve, Yahweh, He is one. And he's, they're making a distinction. They're drawing the people out of this idolatry, out of this, this pantheon of gods that says there's you know, all of these different deities saying, no, uh, the Lord that we serve, there's only one, and His name is Yahweh. His name is four letters, W-Y-H-W-H. No consonants, you can't pronounce it. Um, and it's amazing to me, and I'm going to tie this back, we'll circle back about Jesus' name, baptism. But it's amazing to me that today, whereas people are, will use the name of the Lord in vain like that, they'll curse, they'll just don't. They'll use Jesus Christ in ways that aren't calling on Him, but it's just, it's just a curse word. It's just a way to make an expression. The Jews held the commandment that you should not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. They held that as so serious and precious that they wouldn't even pronounce it. They felt that pronouncing the name of God over their lips was a violation of that commandment. I am so impure and unholy and He is so holy that if I was to utter His name, I may violate that commandment. And so they stopped saying His name. Long before the New Testament opens, somewhere in the Old Testament, they stopped saying the name of God. And instead, they started using the name Adonai, which was just kind of another way of saying God, but it wasn't saying His proper name. His proper name in the Old Testament, God tells Moses, I am that I am. It's, it's this idea of Yahweh, which just means I am that I am. He is the great I am. That is the identity, the proper name of God in the Old Testament. And the Jews are so afraid of violating one of the commandments that they are not going to even utter that across their lips. And so they say, Adonai, Adonai. And eventually, the way that you would pronounce Y-H-W-H in the Old Testament becomes lost. We have no clue how they said it because you don't know where to insert the, the vowels. Like, How do you pronounce this unpronounceable set of consonants? And so... We insert consonants in there and we say YHWH is probably Yahweh uh, or in English it becomes JHVH. And in English you can't pronounce that either so we insert these vowels trying to pronounce it and you come out with the word Jehovah. It's where we come up with the name Jehovah. It's just another idea, another way in another language of saying Yahweh. But we don't really know how they say it because they were so afraid to violate that commandment. But when Mary, and when we begin our, 
our series in the, in the Gospels and the life and time of Jesus Christ will begin here. We'll work our way through, this, through the story, through the narrative of Jesus and just who Jesus was, the identity of Christ and what Jesus taught and how it applies to us today. But picture this little 16-year-old girl. We don't know how old she was, but she was young. Mary is, by all accounts, Mary is either a teenager or, or I've never read an account that puts her in her 20s. She is a young girl who is betrothed, kind of like an engagement. Uh, she is betrothed to Joseph. And, you know, she has to come home one day and uh, say, hey, hey, Joseph, um, uh, I'm pregnant, but I swear I've, uh, I've been good. And, uh, well, of course he doesn't believe her. And the only way that, that this works out is an angel has to appear to Joseph too and say, no, Joseph, this is all, this is all legitimate. But an angel appears to Mary says, you're going to have a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And what the, the way that the angel would have said it, it would have been that Yahweh, Yahweh saves. If you put Yahweh saves together, the way that you would say that was Yahashua. And the way that we would say that in English is Joshua. Like the name Joshua in English is the English equivalent of the name of Jesus uh, because it's Yahashua. Yahweh saves. That's what the name of Jesus meant. Yahweh saves. And that was Mary hearing the name of God and saying, you are having the Son of God. You are going to give birth. The Holy Spirit is the Father. He overshadows her. This is a once in the history of the universe occurrence where the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary and she becomes pregnant. God is His Father. Mary is His mother. He is God. He is man. But it is Yahweh in flesh. One thing that I talk to people uh, when I have conversations with people about the Godhead and about what it means to be Father, Son, and Spirit, one of the litmus tests for me to see if that person has fidelity in what they believe is, do you believe that the God of the Old Testament that Jesus is the God of the Old Testament in flesh, Yahweh in flesh. He is not, he is, there is no distinction between Christ and Yahweh, that He is the Son of God in the sense that He is Yahweh in flesh. We have to believe that. We have to take Jesus to the point of being fully divine. Fully human, yes. Fully divine, yes. Christ is fully divine. Yahashua saves Jesus this so much in a name. Now today we don't put that much importance in the names. I mean we don't name our children, most, some people do, but most of the time we, we name our children because we like the name. You know, we think it'll work for that kid. Or what. We don't put that much thought into the theology or the, the Bible identity of a person's name. But they did. Like a person's name really held a lot of weight. So Jesus went around being the God who saves. So why do we baptize in Jesus' name? Why are people buried in, in His name in baptism? So a year and a half ago, I was in Minneapolis at a, uh, a conference, the Bethlehem Conference of, of Pastors and Teachers. And Logos is a Bible software that I use. Logos is, it is the default by far, like there are other Bible softwares, but Logos is the, the Bible software to use. They don't, there is no competition in what they do. Uh, and 
Logos had a table, a booth set up there in their bookstore, and so I stopped by and I got to talking to the guy that manned the booth, and we got to talking about uh, uh, these ideas and, and all of this. And, and one of the things that he mentioned to me, because we got a discussion about baptism in Jesus' name, and he said, you are assuming that when they said to baptize in the name of the Lord, that it was a formula they were giving for the person to pronounce over them. And I said, I understand that. And he said, it's much, much bigger than that. He goes, it's not just, he goes, we have no evidence that it was, that they were teaching this is what you should say over a person. He goes, it was more about what was happening to a person, that they were being buried in Christ. And I said, I'll give you that. I agree with that. We are kind of playing some connect the dots to say that it's telling us that's the actual words that should be pronounced over. I said, there's a much bigger idea of what's happening in baptism. I said, but... This, is, this was my appeal to him. I said, if the person that's baptizing that person has to say something, and they do, you're not silent. I said, if you're going to pronounce something over them and, and baptize them as a formula in the name of what, I said, you're not baptizing them in the identity of God in the Old Testament as a spirit. You're not baptizing them in the idea that God dwells inside of us through His Holy Spirit. You are baptizing them into the person of Jesus Christ. I said, it only makes sense, it's logical sense that if I'm going to baptize you, I'm going to pronounce over you the name of the one that you are being baptized. And I said, Paul cannot be any clearer in this over and over and over that what is happening is you are being baptized into Christ and into His body. I said, therefore, the best way for the preacher to baptize a person is to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus Christ over that person. So when I was growing up, my pastor had a, the, the way that he baptized people, he would say the same thing over and over and over. Upon the confession of your faith, there is the, the confession, the credo part, upon the confession of your faith and by the authority of God's word, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're doing it because you confess faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Because you cannot be a believer unless you profess Christ. Like this, is, this is why you know, I, I hope that you do this. I hope you're on board with pushing back against the idea that people can be saved another way outside of Jesus Christ. Like, well, I could believe in the God of the Old Testament, but I could reject this New Testament Jesus and I could still be saved. And Jesus just puts all that to, to rest. Jesus says, unless, and I'm quoting Christ, unless you believe I am He, you will all die in your sins. I have to believe in the person and the deity and the work of Jesus Christ. It's what it means to be a believer. It's what it means to be a Christian. That I profess that, that I've made a belief in Jesus as Lord. And therefore, when I'm baptized, I want to be buried with Him in baptism so that I can rise again. And this is what we'll talk about in next week and maybe after that is we'll talk about what it means because you don't stay in water, you come out of the water. And coming out of the water is significant of being raised with Him in newness of life. That I am buried. But when I'm buried, the old man dies and I come up as a new creature in Christ. And that's what completes the story of redemption, of 
repenting of my sins, of being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then being raised with Him in newness of life, to have His Spirit dwell inside of me so that I am a new creature. And once that happens in your life, the rest of your life, from that to either your death or the time when Christ returns to this earth, and Christ will return to this earth someday. This, all this chaos in the world will not last forever. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime. Uh, I think every believer should believe that it could happen in my lifetime. I'm living like He's coming and I'm living like I'm going to be here forever because I don't know. I don't know when Christ is going to return. But He will return someday. And whether it's in my lifetime or if it's in 300 or 1,000 years, doesn't really matter. My days on this earth are limited. My days are numbered. Moses in the book of Psalms, the one psalm that Moses writes, says, Lord, teach us to number our days. Not live every day like it's your last day, but teach us to number our days, to be aware of the fact that my time on this earth is limited and that I have a very short stay on this earth. And what I do for Christ is the only thing that counts and the only thing that will last. And if I do that, and I walk with a heart toward Him, I will please Him. But between my conversion, between my baptism, between my infilling of His Spirit, until the day that I leave this earth, all of that span of time is sanctification. It's what we do to become more like Jesus, because none of us are exactly like Jesus. We say we're Christians, but to say you're a Christian means that you're Christ-like, and none of us are like Jesus, exactly. We all have faults and failures, and. Like in Christianity, it's usually easier to get the outside person cleaned up and our lifestyle, the things that people see. But there's always in our hearts, there's doors and closets and secret passageways in our soul of attitudes and drives and inner things that the Lord has to knock on and open up that and clean that out. And that just happens the rest of our days. It doesn't have anything to do with our salvation. Our, I, I'm, I'm saved because I'm perfect, because I'm perfect in Christ, because Christ is perfect. I'm saved that way by proxy. Paul would cry out, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. He cries out in another place. You just see him just exclaiming as he writes, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? If Paul could say that, if Paul was, had enough self-honesty to say, I'm not there yet. I'm not Paul by any stretch. I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. And, and we're going to fight those things. We're going to battle through those things to become like Jesus, to more perfectly reflect His glory and His teachings and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word and thank You for uh, all of us, myself included, having the privilege to hear Your Word, to read Your Word, to hear it expounded upon, to hear it preached. Lord, I pray this morning that you would convict our hearts and our lives in a way that doesn't push us away from you, but in a way that draws us to you. For your conviction never repels us, but it always draws us to you. It always brings us to a place of humility and a place of repentance and a place of self-honesty. Lord, this morning as we've talked about baptism, we, we join in with millions of believers around the world throughout the last 2,000 years who have professed faith and who have said, I want to be buried in your name. I want to be buried with you in baptism so that I could raise again and have a new life in Christ Jesus. I pray this morning that you would keep your hand upon us this week. I pray that you would give us wisdom individually. And I pray, God, that 
as a body, collectively, as a people, that you would give us direction on what way we're supposed to go, on what we're supposed to do, that we would be faithful servants and disciples of you. And we ask this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.